On this episode, I'm in the room with Pastor James McDonald discussing how pastors can stay in ministry for the long haul. Welcome to In the Room, episode number 22. I'm Ryan Hughley, and I'm the founding and lead pastor of Redemption Bible Church just outside Chicago. You can find me online at ryanhughley.com and also on Twitter and Instagram at at Ryan Hughley. That's H-U-G-U-L-E-Y. If you're new to the podcast, the concept's pretty straightforward. I want to bring you in the room for conversations I have with people who interest me. I talk with pastors, professors, authors, and artists about their stories, their crafts, and how they do what they do. This week is special for me personally because I'm in the room with Pastor James McDonald. When I first started the podcast, I had a list of five people I most wanted to talk to, and Pastor James was at the top of that list. For the past six years, he's been a close friend, a mentor, and a pastor to me personally, and I'm excited to be able to invite you into so much of what I've been blessed by since I've known him. He's the founding pastor of Harvest Bible Chapel, reaching thousands of people at seven locations across Chicagoland. Millions of people hear him preach every single day through his Walk in the Word TV and radio ministry, and the Harvest Bible Fellowship has planted over a hundred churches around the world. All of these things make him a great subject for our conversation today, because today we're discussing ministry longevity. With so many pastors burning out, we need a more healthy approach to ministry. In our conversation, we discuss the role of preparation, family, friendship, preaching, and leadership in helping the pastor endure for the long haul. James also opens up and shares some specific insights he's learned from his critics. I'd suggest you grab something to write on, something to write with, pull up a seat, and come on in the room for my conversation with James McDonald. James, thanks so much for coming on in the room. Thanks for having us here to the studio. Usually I shoot these in my office behind my desk, so this is a step up from that. Oh, good. Uh, Appreciate that. Uh, Here's how I want to start. Last week, your son Luke tweeted, uh, a bad day on the field is better than a good day in the stands. Do whatever it takes to stay in the game. Did uh, he really? He did. Yeah, he's a smart guy. You did something right. Yeah. Uh, But that's really what I want to spend our time talking about. I want to talk about how ministry leaders stay in the game. Uh, I know that stats don't tell the whole story, but but uh, 1,500 pastors leave their ministries every single month. Wow. And, uh, and this is a serious problem, so I think we have a lot to learn from you. You've been married to your wife, Kathy, now for how many years? Well, 31. I'm hoping for another uh, annual. I'm on, I'm on year to year now. Okay, so I'm hoping, I get that. I'm hoping to get a renewal this summer for number 32, but <laughs> okay. it's looking good so far. It's looking good. Uh, you have three grown children, all married. I guess married. my point there is, is that I don't ever want to take for granted that my wife is still all in with me. Absolutely. And uh, so I'm kind of kidding, but yeah, 32 years coming up and That's super awesome. grateful. Good. Three grown kids, all married, all serving and loving Jesus. Uh, I've been pastoring here at Harvest since 1988. Uh, the fellowship has planted over 100 churches. And so uh, all of that to say, I've known you now for six or seven years. And from what I can tell, you're more passionate and fired up about ministry than you've ever been since I've known you. And so I want to talk about how that happens. When 1,500 people burn out every month, how in the world have you done that? So I've got a handful of categories I think that would be good to go through. And I think to start at the beginning would be good. And I think that you have to think that some ministry leaders struggle to stay in the game because they weren't properly prepared. And so could you just start by, for people that don't know maybe your whole story, um, what, when and how did God call you uh, into full-time ministry? 
Well, thank you for that uh, thoughtful preparation on your part. And uh, I just want to serve. I really like what you're doing. I like the opportunity for people to be heard. I've listened to your podcast. And I think what you're the service that you're providing, which is an opportunity to hear people in a way they wouldn't normally hear them. I just think it's yeah. fantastic. And, you know, you know that I really, really believe in you and I believe in your ministry and what you're called to. So thanks for the chance to be part of Absolutely. this. Um, I would say that um, I like the subject matter. I, I like um, there's no success without succession mm-hmm. and you know we should all have ringing in our ears he who endures to the end will be saved so you know um, stopping short um, not making it not finishing has more than just life calling implications it mm-hmm. has I think it has salvific implications and I'm not saying that people that aren't out of ministry aren't still in the Lord I'm not saying that but I am saying that uh, perseverance endurance if you look at the life of the Apostle Paul I mean he was always talking about the day the day the final day getting to the day when he would stand before Jesus Christ and 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 so I just think we all need to have finishing 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 without that nothing else matters right and and uh, so I'm very very passionate about that in terms of a calling um, I think some, um, the reason the Macedonian call is in the Bible is because it's not normal mm-hmm. and I don't think many of us would say you know Jesus I was going to the city and Jesus appeared to me and he right. said it's hard for you to kick it you know right. most of us don't have that and um, those special stories in the Bible are awesome but I was just a kid brought up in a Christian home I was far from God. I preached to the church this weekend that my dad was too easy to fool when I was a fool. <laughs> and and uh, I didn't walk with the Lord as a high school student, but um, a youth pastor got a hold of me. And, uh, you know, he was... Uh, He was asking me to do ministry with him when I wasn't qualified to fold bulletins. Hmm. And he just said, take him where he's at. And he'd take me out after school and he'd go around and we'd go visit kids. And he'd try to challenge these other kids about their relationship with God. And I would listen to what he was saying to them. And I would think to myself, I'm the person that needs to hear that. And it was pretty smart what he did. And eventually he'd say to me, now when we go to this house, you're going to pray with this person. I was like, pray with the person. Are you nuts? And he just started working with me like that. And that went on for two or three years and growing in me a desire to serve the Lord. And then I had an opportunity to teach a little Bible study. And I guess what I'm trying to say, as I always say to people that approach me about vocational ministry, God isn't calling you full time until he needs full time what you're doing part time. And I just kind of started doing some things and I saw God use it. And, you know, I went to Bible college and it just kind of happened over many, many years. First, I was going to be a Christian, but in business. And then I was going to be a youth pastor, but only part time. And then I was going to be a youth pastor forever, but I never wanted to be that guy. Yeah. You know, and and it just all happened a bit at a time. And I would use that to encourage anybody who doesn't feel like they have a special call to ministry, that we're all called to ministry and where God seems to be using it, vocational ministry makes sense. Yeah. So in the vocational sense, I feel like I'm hearing a lot more conversation, some debate and discussion around the importance of traditional education as a way of preparation. You've been through that, have three degrees that I'm aware of. So do you think most pastors, when when young people approach you, do you think most pastors should go to Bible college and or seminary? How important is that by way of preparation? Well, I think, first of all, you know, always be careful of normalizing your experience. So we find even in our movement of churches, I prayed in seminary, Kathy and I prayed, God will go anywhere you want us to go, but we want to stay there. Mm -hmm. And so now we have pastors who feel like if you don't stay in your same church the whole time, then you're, then that's, that's what you're supposed to do. And what I did is not what 
someone else is supposed to do, but I think we do see patterns. And I would say that vocational training for ministry, um, if you think of them as tools, mm-hmm. I don't want my car to get fixed by a guy who's got like one wrench and a broken hammer. Yeah. And and I'm really impressed. When, aren't you impressed when you walk in the garage and you see the guy's got those big roll-out red trays and he's got tools for everything and he can you know set the timing and on your, I don't know much about cars. If I go farther with that analogy, yeah. I'm going to start sounding dumb. But... Um, um, I respect tools. And if you want to feed people with God's word for a lifetime, I think taking some time to get tools um, makes sense. That's good. Well, let's talk about the actual issue of burnout. So have you ever experienced burnout? Like, like to the extent, not just I'm fatigued, but where you've really had moments where you're like, I really don't know if I can keep going. Well, that's an interesting definition of burnout. And I, I think that, I don't think that burnout is a medical condition. So mm-hmm. I would say that this sense of it is kind of subjective, but I for sure have had times where I felt like I couldn't go on. I've had times where I felt like I need to stop for a bit and recalibrate because the current trajectory is not sustainable. I came in here to this recording today, you know, pretty fast. I'm headed out of town mm-hmm. for a month on a missions emphasis. I'm going to be preaching all over the world that's going to come back to our church for a kind of a modern missions conference. And I'm trying to get everything tucked in. And it's a little bit crazy today, but I'm, you know, five years ago, that was every day. Right. And it's not like that now. And um, I have had to, in my book, Vertical Church, I talk about having to reinvent yourself. I've had to reinvent myself a bunch of times over the last 27 years in order to not burn out to the place where I, you know, was a casualty, but I've certainly been on the edge of that. What have been some of the most common, is there any patterns to, as you've experienced maybe a couple of waves of that, some patterns of these are the stressors that have led you there. So obviously schedule not being sustainable, all that kind of stuff, but. Yeah, the two big categories for ministry burnout are the management of demands Mm -hmm. and the uh, care of your soul. Okay. And I would say that I've had times where the managing of demands was going poorly. And so the care of my soul got marginalized. I would say, if you want to think of it as ground to defend, Mm -hmm. the core is the care of your soul. And to begin to see the management of demands as the enemy of the care of your soul. What will take you out of ministry is not busyness. What will take you out of ministry is the collapse of the passion to serve Jesus because the demands of ministry were not rightly managed and your soul was not rightly cared for. Yeah. How important to endurance has your marriage been? Um, uh, exceedingly important. And I would just say that, you know, when Peter says dwell with your wives in an understanding way, I think a big part of a man's capacity to serve the Lord is his wife's capacity. Mm -hmm. And because we believe, you know, in one man with one woman for a lifetime, um, I would say that um, every, you know, when you plant as many churches as we do and have as many staff pastors as we do, I can just tell you that the wife's capacity is as important as the husband's. Some men come home from an exhausting day of ministry and have a whole nother day of work to compensate for the price that the wife has paid to just take care of the kids all day and make some meals. Mm. Other wives have all the meals made, all the pantry organized, the kids are on a program. People have different capacities Mm. and not everyone can pastor a church the way that you do and not everyone can run a household. and, and, And I would just say that the man... Um, uh, is going to be uh, directly affected in his capacity to serve the Lord and lead the church 
uh, by uh, the capacity of his wife. And I would say the care of your soul, uh, a different angle on that is the care of your wife because as she becomes depleted and needs more and needs more and you give less, that's another potential uh, in the ditch call it burnout, call it whatever you want to. Yeah. People end up in the ditch because ministry's impact on their marriage is not sustainable. I always ask on social media, <clears throat> say who I'm going to be uh, interviewing, and I'd mentioned that I was going to be talking to you, and at least 50% of the questions that came back had to do with family. Huh. Uh, and uh, so I wonder what are what have been the keys to helping ministry be a positive for your family? Because it, it is a horror for a lot of people, unfortunately. Mm -hmm. So for you, as a husband and as a dad, what have been some keys to ministry being a positive in your family? Well, what a great question. Um, I'm super um, blessed to know that people are asking about that. That's something that we've really emphasized as our family. And, you know, to me, um, you know what I'm like. You've been all around my family. Oh, I know what you're like. And, and, and you're your even your friendship with me is is much more on the family side of things and you've you know been with our family and mm -hmm. stuff and i mean to me i don't ever think there is no success without family success mm -hmm. it's not a separate category it's the first line of the same thing and i want to walk with jesus i want to walk with jesus with my wife i want to walk with jesus with my wife and children now grandchildren mm -hmm. and i want to walk with jesus with my wife and children and grandchildren and close friends and then i want to take the strength of that into a local church and the idea that somehow i'm successful in the local church but i got disasters with my kids and i got an awful marriage like like that, that, that's just, it's just backwards. And I, I grieve for the people that are listening to that, right? This right now. And they have that. Mm -hmm. And I, I, I think the greatest thing my kids have ever said to me, and uh, it's not that they haven't had their challenges. Mm -hmm. Every one of them has tested our parenting, tested our prayer life. Um, you know, but they do love the Lord. And, uh, I would say that, um, the greatest thing my kids ever said to me was, dad, you're the, you're just the same person at home, yeah. at church, at the basketball game. Just, there's only one person yeah. and same person in the pulpit, same person in the, at the pizza place. And I think that pastors really need to try to bring to their hearts the sense that if it's not working at home, it's not working. Yeah. The worst thing that could happen would be for me to stand up in church and have my kids go, who's that? Right. So we have not done that. Yeah. And, 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 and God has really highlighted that yeah. for us as a priority. I interviewed Luke a few months ago and I asked him about that and that was his okay. exact answer. And it's been interesting. Oh, really? Talking Is to... you going to be that I didn't listen to his podcast? <laughs> no, I'm no, sure I'm glad. Okay. I think we have talked about that. It doesn't yeah. surprise me that he's saying the same yeah, thing. Yeah, it's been interesting interviewing uh, people who grew up in ministry homes yeah. and and every single time they give the, the... When it was a positive, they give that same answer. My dad and my mom were the same people at church as they were at home every single time. Can I add something there? Sure. I, I think it's important to say that being the same doesn't mean being perfect right what he means by my dad will stand up and tell the whole church what he struggles with yeah and he when he comes home my dad's the first one to say i'm sorry how i handled that i just came out of a lunch meeting with a guy who used to work here who you know wanted to meet with me and we came back and we had to sit down and say boy a couple of those things we could have handled that better and it was really an awesome lunch right and i just think that that sense of vulnerability and 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 transparency and self-disclosure about weakness the worst thing for your kids to feel like is dad thinks he has it all together and wants me to act like i do too yeah is is 
is that's not going anywhere yeah. good. You mentioned friendship a few minutes ago and, and you're a great friend. And I know that you really care about friendship. I was really shocked this week to read that 70% of pastors report not having any close friends. Oh my gosh. And so I, I wonder just your thoughts and hearing that. Why do you think pastors struggle so much to have friends? Well, that is a great question. And I, I would say that first of all, pastors, um, for sure have different levels of need. Mm -hmm. And I think you, you need to become a student of what energizes you. Yeah. Because if you only have so much capacity, and as we've been talking, you want to dedicate to the Lord, to my mm -hmm. family, to the church, I'm going to say that I'm energized by people. Yeah. And I'm energized by our friendship. I get a lot of fun out of the teasing. I have a lot of fun of knowing we're in the common purpose together. We're committed to the same things. Um, I think that, um, you know, some of the guys who are students, you know, more introverted, mm -hmm. if you're not energized by people, it's easy to cross that off the list when something needs to get crossed off. And I think that that ends up becoming a disadvantage. And um, so I would say learning to enjoy people, um, again, being consistent uh, with people, um, having some places to have fun. Our staff always jokes about my fun meter. Right. If my fun meter gets too low, this isn't going to be very good. And there has to be a certain amount of fun in every day. And and I think that's why, you know, a lot of times when you and I connect, I'm kind of goofing off because yeah. there is enough serious. There's lots of serious. I don't ever get through a day and go, where was the serious? Right. So the friends are the places. And I'm leaving here, as I was telling you, as we started to go meet with a friend. And and um, so I would say learning to cultivate relationships and seeing them not as an obligation, but as a look at the way that Jesus was. And, and he discipled in the context of friendship and relationship. And we have a great model yeah. there. One of the things I really admire uh, about you is how many of the same friends, staff members, relationships you've had around you for such a long time. And a lot of pastors have like a revolving door of relationship. And I don't ever sense that that's the case with you. So what do you think have been some really important keys to keeping the same people around you for a long time? Well, I think one of the things, this whole context that you've wisely brought us into, which is a tenure and longevity and sticking with it. I think we celebrate that. Like I have a, I have a, I didn't know I'd bring this out, but I got to see which one I got today. But I, I have a coin in my pocket yeah. that is one of the ways that we uh, celebrate. Uh, this is a 20 year coin. I have a 25 year coin, but we celebrate with our pastors. Um, every year matters. Um, um, I give out a pen to some of my key friendships every year, another year, another year serving the Lord, another year not in the ditch, another yeah. year. And then we have these coins. So I guess um, you have to have this with you at all times, a yeah. coin. And it's the idea of um, every year matters and a year together in the Lord mm -hmm. um, is, is a great accomplishment. Yeah. And I'd like to someday have a 40 year coin if the Lord gives me yeah. health. And so to hold that up as a value, I think is one thing. I think another thing is it's hard to follow the same leader for a long time if you feel like you can't penetrate his thinking. That's really good. And, and I would want a lot of the guys that have worked with me for a long time to say, well, I see him growing. I see him changing. I can think of specific things that I, because we're always saying things to the people we lead that penetrate their thinking. Right. But eventually to keep, you know, um, it's not that we haven't lost people and it's not that we haven't lost people that, you know, it really grieved me. Mm -hmm. But, um, you know, I've been the same associate pastor for 27 years and my assistant of 25 or six years just retired this fall. And, mm -hmm. and uh, a lot of our elders and so on have been around for decades. And uh, a lot of our senior staff, certainly the same. And uh, 
that's just in our culture. It, it matters. Years matter. And I would say loyalty to people. And we will say this all the time. I don't want to be on a team that doesn't celebrate loyalty. And if years don't earn something, then what's the point? Yeah. And we certainly have people here that we've accommodated and helped them find a spot that is, is most suitable to their giftedness. And they've had the humility to accept it. And we've shown the loyalty to help them get to it. But I would say that, you know, the years matter. Yeah is a big thing in our culture, wouldn't you? We followed your, we did for five years. When our elders hit five years, we had tags made. Oh, see, that's awesome. Yeah, ours uh, are, they're, they're cooler than your coins. I just want to go on record as saying. Well, who would not expect that everything that you would do would be cooler than me? Whether it's better than me. <laughs> yeah, I didn't say better. That's yet, to be, that's yet to be determined. That's but right. I, 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 I didn't grant, say better. I want to yield all the cooler than me ground now. So that doesn't happen. <laughs> Let's don't fight over Last that anymore. Last time we go to that. Last time. All right. We'll be back for the rest of my conversation with James McDonald in just a moment. First, I need a favor. You can help me make In The Room more accessible by doing three simple things. Number one, you can subscribe to the podcast on iTunes. Number two, you can leave a short review. And number three, you can spread the word about this episode on social media. Thanks so much for listening and for helping me get the word out. Now let's get back to my conversation with James McDonald. One of the most taxing aspects of pastoring uh, is preaching every single week. And I wonder for you, you've been doing that. You have any idea in your head how many sermons you've preached? I guess right around 3,000. Okay, so that's a lot. How do you keep, for all those years, how do you keep your preaching fresh? Because I listen to you, you're one of the only preachers that I listen to on a regular basis, and you're fired up every single week. How do you keep that going? That's really kind of you. I, I think you have to have some bedrock convictions about things. And, and I mean, I mean, these are things that drive everything. And, and, um, you know, um, it seems to always come back to that. And I would say that a bedrock conviction for me is, is that the Bible is alive. Mm -hmm. So, um, because it's alive and because I yield myself to it, I don't ever let myself cultivate the sense of, I know it. I know what I learned last time I was there, or I remember some of it. But because I go to it as living and active, mm -hmm. and, and I invite it to be that sword that divides soul and spirit, joints and marrow, discerns the thoughts and intents of my heart. We always say you can't teach what you don't know. You can't lead where you don't go. And I'm not faking it or phoning it in when I get up to preach. I don't ever get up to preach when things aren't right between me and my wife. Yep. I haven't ever done that. And I don't get up to preach when the word hasn't stirred me. Yeah. And that's a lot of pressure. And I've begged the Lord sometimes and I've got up, you know, and asked the Lord to breathe fresh life into this in prayer. But, but, um, I've preached a lot of bad sermons in my lifetime, but I've never got into the pulpit with one in my hand that I thought was a fail before I started. I always thought I had it. And, and so I'd say that's one bedrock conviction uh, that the word of God is alive. I think another uh, kind of bedrock conviction, as I just stated, is, is that I won't preach to others what hasn't gripped me first, mm -hmm. I think is, is, is really, really important. And then um, I would just say, uh, you know, the, the pastoring a local church for me has been the crucible of my sanctification. And I, I, it's not tempting to me to go somewhere else even though it would be easier because I don't want to be that guy with a drawer of sermons. Yeah. I, I have to have 
it fresh and new here every week or I'll have people coming up to me saying I remember when you preached that and it's not that I've never re-preached things I have done that occasionally but but it's the freshness of it that um, keeps me in the place where it's not formulaic yeah do you think that there's any um, particular sins and maybe sin might even be strong, but 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 we'll stick with that. Any particular sins that you think become more tempting the longer you've, you hear stories about guys plagiarizing sermons, things like that. But do you think after you've done it for so long, there are any particular things that become more tempting? Well, first of all, the idea of plagiarizing a sermon, God, God forgive whoever did that. We get regular letters from elders who are like, I heard your message on the radio and our pastor preached in the church like it was his own sermon. I just feel sad for that guy because yeah. he doesn't understand that he would be, if he thinks, and I don't agree with this, but if he thinks that my sermon is better than the one that he could make with his own passion, he's wrong. Mm-hmm. He said, well, I actually like your outline better, James, but don't you understand? It isn't about that. It's about the authenticity of coming to it yourself, good or bad, better or not. Mm-hmm. And, and so I feel that that guy somehow thinks that he's upgrading his message by taking someone else's, but he's actually cheating his soul and cheating his people. And, and, and your people need what you got out of it mm-hmm. and learning to sharpen those tools and do it for yourself. I mean, I go back now, I always want some of the guys in our training center um, to go back and listen to some of my first sermons because they'll be like, well, I don't, you know, they listen to a guy who's been doing it for 30 years and they feel like, well, I got some room to grow. But if they go back and listen to the original guy, they're like, well, I'm better than him already. <laughs> and, and I mean, I really, the, there, there's really no substitute for that, you know, long, um, tenured staying in the same place and doing it over and over and over and over and trying, you know, never to phone it in. Yeah. Well, God's blessed you with lots of fruit in, in ministry. And when that happens, especially as a preacher, the opportunities increase, the uh, platforms expand, uh, the praise gets louder. And I wonder how you have worked to guard your heart in the midst of that. Every pastor knows what it is to get down and to hear great sermon. You know, you get praise for that. So how have you guarded your heart through the midst of that? Well, and thanks for asking that that way, because I, as you were going into that question, I w- was remembering that I didn't really answer the previous question as well as I wanted to or get to your point, which was susceptibilities or sins relative to longer tenured ministries. And so now you're graciously asking it again in a different way. And I would just say that um, um, I have a very acute sense that one plants and one waters, but God causes the growth. That's the whole message of vertical church. It's God, not us. This is the Lord's doing. I really believe that. I'm not just saying that. That's not a popular angle on um, a dark heart. I, I think that that is, that is what I truly believe. I believe that the Lord has not only uh, done the work, but I believe that the Lord has uh, honestly been super patient with me. I think I've been slow to learn some things. I really truly feel that he's been gracious. I've never felt so privileged to be the pastor of the church. I don't, I don't feel entitled I really go out of my way to to look for things that that seem to say entitled. Mm-hmm. You know, I remember hearing Bill Hybels preach one time about I don't have my own parking space, and mm-hmm. and it seemed kind of obvious. But um, you certainly have people that serve you and help you, mm-hmm. but but to not expect it or think that it's happening because you're not special or not special. 
And there was a season of time where I would say pretty regularly to our people, it's not about the messenger, it's about the message. And mm-hmm. just keep reminding yourself that. We have this treasure in earth and vessels, the excellency of the powers of God, not of us. Second Corinthians uh, 4, 7-ish, I think is where that is. And, 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 um, and then the last thing I would say is if you're really taking the responsibility seriously, mm-hmm. I'm just going to tell you from my heart to yours, I don't really feel inflated. If you want to know what I really feel, and you know this because we're friends, what I feel is I feel overwhelmed. I feel maxed. I feel like, how on earth did this get on me? And how much longer can I do this? And I I don't, I feel stretched and, and praying for strength and trying to do it better. And I feel that the weight has humbled me. And, um, so I'm very grateful to the Lord for that. Mm-hmm. And I, I can honestly say, I think maybe sometimes the temptations were greater to pride, uh, in my youth when I, when I was about, you know, being right. I don't, I don't care that much about being right anymore. Yeah. I want to be right with the Lord. I want to be right with, with, uh, everyone who's serving the Lord. And, um, I'm super thankful for God's gracious, persevering work in my heart. Um, you know, I'm not, I think, you know, I'm not just saying that. I mean, I really, really mean that. And, uh, I'm not sure how, how do you get to a place where you feel all super puffed up about, I mean, where, where I serve, I'd have people slapping me. I'd be like, what's wrong with you? Do you think that's one of the ways it happens when you don't have people around you that are really speaking to your life or you've opened yourself up to that, given them permission in that? You're opening up an important subject. I would say that the larger our ministry has gotten, the more that I've had to go out of my way to say to people. Now, I'm not kidding. Mm-hmm. If anyone here has a contrary opinion, I want to hear it. I just came out of a meeting this morning and I took, I was going pretty fast. I took two guys aside, my CFO and the main uh, leader of our church. Um, and I just said, guys, if there's anything that happened in that meeting, I'm going out of town. If there's anything that happened in that meeting that's not sitting well with you, I'm asking you to come back to me. What did I miss? What am I not seeing? And, and you have to, I think, uh, as you uh, grow in your ministry, I think you have to go out of your way to almost roll out a red carpet to people and say, contrary opinion, welcome. We actually have a thing now where our head counselor attends every elders meeting and he's the final uh, agenda item. And he actually spends five or 10 minutes assessing our meeting, mm-hmm. telling us how we did in listening to one another yeah. and almost scoring us on our deference to one another. And I think that, you know, putting some of those safeguards in place about five years ago, I started uh, every year they review me. I get a annual review and my uh, main elder uh, team goes to 20 of our staff members from a guy working in the loading dock to somebody who's in my office every day and they get this. Would you like this? They do an anonymous survey and they ask four or five questions. What's it like to work with James? What was your worst moment with James this year? How do you believe that God is growing him? What's, you know, they just ask these really and then they put it all together and I don't even know who they talk to and then they give that to me yeah. and I put that in place. Yeah. And so I think putting structures in place to protect the church from you yeah. is a good way of keeping it all real healthy. 
I think, you know, much of what you're describing is, is really, whether you'd say it or not, I'll say it for you, is very brilliant leadership decisions. Leadership is uh, very difficult, can be very lonely. What have been some of the most common leadership challenges that you, as you reflect on the last 20 some odd years, the most common leadership challenges? Well, I would say someone said this years ago, it's not original with me, but I don't remember who said it right now, but someone said, uh, the more you accomplish as a leader, the more people will tend to leave you alone. And I have found now that people, I have to actually go out and shake the tree and beg people to have dinner with you because they just don't believe that you really want their friendship. And, and they think, well, you know, it's just another thing for him to do and I don't want to burden him. And, and, and I think that, um, leadership for sure is lonely. Um, I remember at my graduation from seminary, Chuck Swindoll spoke on five things they never taught me in seminary. And one of the things he said is it's hardest at home. And that's not true for me today, but that has been true in various seasons that keeping it where it needs to be at home mm -hmm. is, is a challenge. I think that, um, um, uh, stewarding your gifts, stewarding the increased resources related to, um, growing ministry in a way that honors God, um, growing in generosity, um, um, I would say that letting go of offense, leaving injustice with the Lord, um, um, dying to your own reputation and your need to defend. Um, a, a sentence that has served me really well is this. I've had to say this to people. In order to make you feel better about that person, about that situation, in order to make you feel better about that situation, I'd need to make you feel worse about that person. And I'm not willing to do that. I'd rather you just thought poorly of me. Yeah. And hopefully my ministry has enough on deposit that um, people are, you know, I just, I just have come to the place where I'm just not willing to speak in a way that negates somebody else in order to advance my own uh, ministry influence. Yeah. So I know for a lot of pastors and ministry leaders, criticism tends to be one of the biggest challenges that they face. You've had multiple seasons where criticism has been a pretty regular part of your life and ministry. And so um, I've got two questions about criticism, but the first one is, what do you feel like in general you've learned about dealing with criticism in a way that honors God and others? I think that where we are in a position of public ministry, the pressure is on us to make sure that we're getting to the bottom of what is true in the criticism yeah. and making sure that we're humbled and responsive in regard to that part. Yeah. I've heard a lot of leaders say that we should learn from our critics. I think Rick Warren has always said you should turn your critics into coaches. So I hear a lot of that, and I rarely hear leaders talk about what they're learning from their critics. And so I wonder, when you reflect on these last couple of years that there's been a lot of criticism, what's something that you've learned about life, yourself, ministry from your critics? Oh, I've learned a lot of things. I've learned that... Um, um, if you would think about your desire to influence a person, a staff member who's in error and think of it like a dial from one to five. Mm -hmm. And I used to be like, hey, I think you need to work on this one. Hey, I really think you need to work on this too. Hey, I'm not even joking now. I think, you know, three, four, five. Yeah. I would never do that now. I would never go above a two ever for any reason. I would say two's enough. And mm -hmm. if you don't get it at two, then I guess we're going to lose you. And that's a great loss. But I have tried too hard. And, and you know, if you can't pick the fruit, don't bruise it. Mm -hmm. And the wrath of man does not produce the righteousness of God. And, and I think I've overestimated my ability to change the behavior of others and tried too hard. And, and, you know, when they change the subject from what they need to work on to how you're talking to them about it, that's a loss. 
Yeah. And so you think, well, gosh, you should have learned that a long time ago, James. I did. I did learn it a long time ago, but I've learned it in a, in a much, much deeper way. I would say secondarily, I've learned that uh, when you're someone's pastor and you're their friend and you're their boss, and in some instances where there's a father wound there, you're mm-hmm. their father figure, when that goes in, a, in the ditch for a variety of reasons, good or bad, they've lost a lot more than their job. Mm-hmm. And, and I wish that I'd understood that a lot better and where I've been criticized for not really feeling the weight of that and handling it better, I think that that's fair. I think that when I started writing books and things like that, I think that uh, I made some financial decisions that didn't fully calibrate what it was gonna be like to be a public person. And rather than digging in my heels and saying, well, you know, they shouldn't feel that way or they don't know how much I give, I've tried to make different decisions. I sold my house, I moved uh, to something uh, much more modest. I uh, Why, why? Because when your actions send a message that's different than your heart, correct your action immediately. Mm-hmm. To say, well, my heart, that's not where my heart is, but the action still stands, like right. change your actions. And I think that that's where, you know, learn from your critics. I think that would be, um, I hope, a good example of that. I think that um, I came out of legalism. Mm-hmm. So uh, coming out of legalism, I think I went through a season, I think in my late 40s, where I was, I think, kind of reacting to legalism a bit. And I think that I allowed my personal liberty uh, at times uh, to be, um, you know, maybe a bit of a stumbling block. Um, and uh, I used to, I mean, it's not, it's not a big secret. I used to play poker with my sons and my friends in my basement. And then, then all of a sudden you're reading on the internet, you know, this guy's a high stakes addicted gambler. I mean, like, Really? Really? But you know what I did when I heard that? I called my sons over to the house. I put my little card table and stuff. I put it through the table saw. I took it out in the backyard and I burned it. Mm -hmm. I said, I'll never do that again. My sons are like, well, why? I said, because the Bible is really clear that we don't let our liberty in Christ be an occasion for someone else to stumble. And if I could have kept it private, then that could have been my private liberty. It wasn't a problem. But because... Um, it was made into a problem. You lay down your liberties. You don't hold out and get entrenched. You, the scripture is pretty clear, you know, that we lay down our liberties for the sake of the gospel. And, uh, you know, if it's, if I'm, again, back to that sentence, if I'm wrong in the way that I'm right, yeah. I'm wrong even if I'm right. Yeah. And I think that the Lord has really driven that home to me. And hopefully I haven't just chorused, learned from your critics, but I actually have. And, you know, thanks for the opportunity to speak openly. I didn't know you were going to ask me such personal things, but I want to give honest answers. Yeah, I appreciate that. Two more questions. Um, when you reflect on the last 20 some odd years, uh, what what are some of the things that you, you think that really from the beginning, you're really thankful we put these in place early on, uh, so I'm, I'm glad we put these. These are some things we got right from the beginning. Okay. Um, I think that, um, you know, we had four pillars from the very start of the church. And I think that, you know, preaching the, I was, I was talking about preaching the authority of God's word without apology when that was just the opposite of what everyone else was talking about. Yeah. Everyone else was talking about, you know, make people comfortable, preach on subject matters that will kind of gradually, I can remember calling visitors from our church when we only had 120 people and, and they're like, we're not coming back to your church. You can't preach to people like that. And I'd hang up the phone going, I'm a moron. Why am I doing this? <laughs> and, and, and yet, you know, I, I, it seems like a great idea now. Yeah. But um, I think at the end of the day, we were always convinced that if we were saying some things at church that God wanted people to hear, he would get them there. Mm. 
Mm-hmm. And so that focus on let's honor God. Let's, let's lift up his son. If you had given your son as an atoning sacrifice for the world, wouldn't you want to lead people to places where he was being adored? Big time. Yeah. So, I mean, it seems so obvious to me. And, and God gave us that at the very beginning. Mm-hmm. And I'm really, really, really thankful for that. I think that something awesome happens when people pray. And, and I would say that prayer is the thing that crawls off the table and you got to go get it. I can't tell you how many times I've called us back to prayer in our church. Mm-hmm. I'm convinced that's never fixed. It's just awesome. And then it's slipping and then it's awesome again. And then it's slipping and we're about to make it awesome again. And, and, um, but I think that when people have cried out to God and asked him to show up in the services and asked him to move and he does, that is so far superior to, you know, just, um, you know, seeing a couple of good things happen and that, that what it does in people in the sense that it gives them of dependence upon the Lord. I was, uh, we just got our audit back, a cl- yeah. clean audit from the auditor ninth year in a row. It's a, it's a pretty big deal. And I, I want to share this, um, in a, in a very grateful way. Yeah. This auditor works with 22 of the largest ministries in the country and, and, uh, largest churches. And they told us that our giving per adult is the highest giving per adult of any of the 22 churches they work with. To me, that's a confirmation of discipleship and an emphasis on why we preach the word, why we challenge people, why we press them into accountable small groups, even if they leave because they don't want that. But um, Jesus said, where your treasure is, there your heart will be. And ours isn't the richest of those churches, I'll guarantee you that. But, But the people give because they love and they love because they're challenged and they pray and they enter into it and and that level of ownership i mean that means more to me than any number of people that are attending the church or any of those things are just not as important to me but anything that says discipleship is happening hearts are in the right place that's what we've really tried to emphasize and i think that god has honored that wasn't he wasn't always easy though yeah i'm sure well we have a growing number of leaders who are early in their ministries that are listening to the podcast. And so when you look back on you in 1988, just starting out with 18 people and you think about them, what would you tell them to really like, these are, this is the the thing or a couple of things like you, you have to be on this from the beginning. We've always told people that the weekend service is like the wood burning stove in a warehouse. Yeah. When the fire goes out in the stove, the work stops. Yeah. It's not the work, it's not the discipleship, it's just the fire that keeps the warehouse warm, that keeps the work happening. And people won't remember what you preached on or which worship song they sang, but if that thing is en fuego every single week, the workers in the warehouse will be warm and healthy things will be happening. And I would just say that as it relates to the young people listening to this podcast and ministry or starting out, I would say what the worship service is to the church your own walk with God is to your soul and your desire to be in ministry. And many people think that they can neglect that for a season and survive. And I have found that you cannot. Mm -hmm. And I've got to places where I've been pretty thin in my walk with the Lord and pretty discouraged in my attitude. And, and, and I'm telling you, he's so gracious. And if you just go back to him and just humble yourself and say, Lord, I'm just so sorry that I've neglected the priority of my relationship with you. And I'm going to take extra time this week just to walk with you and just to listen to your word and just to, I believe strongly and kneel down out loud with a list specific prayer. Mm-hmm. Kneel down out loud with a list specific prayer. I don't count anything as prayer except that. And preachers that are doing that several times a week and meeting with God in his word and journaling and praying 
I would say that's the furnace that allows you to stoke the big stove in the warehouse. Mm-hmm. That's the thing that for me um, must always be. Yeah. That's a great place to end. So thank awesome. you so much. You've yep. been, uh, over the years, uh, an amazing, a lot of pastors don't have a pastor and I really feel like I do in yeah, you good. and, uh, you've been a great friend more than anything yep. else. So thanks yep. for taking the time to do this. Good. I appreciate it. Love you. Thankful for Love you. you. I think the thing I'm most thankful for about James is that he's always growing. He's different after every sermon he preaches and every situation he faces. And what I've learned from him is that if you don't grow, you're not going to get to the end in ministry. So lean in to whatever that thing is that God's trying to grow you in. Don't ignore it. Don't run from it and don't resist it. Let God grow you, even if it hurts. Well, that's it for this episode, but don't forget you can connect with me on Twitter and Instagram at, at Ryan Hughley and also on my blog at ryanhugley.com. That's H-U-G-U-L-E-Y. We'll be back next week with episode number 23 in my conversation with Drew Dick. He's the editor of Leadership Magazine, a speaker, and the author of a great book called Yawning at Tigers. Until then, it's an honor to learn with you. I love you, and thanks for listening.